Everybody was kung flu fighting. It was spreading fast as lightning. That was the bus stop, sort of. This is Eyeball, and I'm your host, John Loomis. Today, we settle down for a long winter's nap with a fantastic talk with our friend and the excellent picture editor at AARP, Michael Wichita. And we talk about a wide variety of topics, including 1990s TV, 1980s music videos, reboot culture in general, David Burns dancing, maintaining the creative spark, and algorithmic thinking. This chat took place a few months ago, back at Thanksgiving, so with the news cycle being what it is these days, it feels like it's been a year. Take us away, Scott. No, I turned it off. No, I just turned it on. Oh, we're only starting now. We just started. That's why I was being uh, open. I thought that was the the point. No, no, I, I, it's less that now than it was before. I don't, I don't need to be difficult. I really don't. don't. I don't think you are difficult. And actually, I think I'm being difficult right now. A tiny bit. I think you're being particular. But I think it's because (laughs) things are important to you, and I actually, I'm, I'm okay with that because I know you, and you're not a difficult person. I mean, typically you and I usually agree on things or you disagree with me so strongly that you don't voice your opinions. And then, um, I don't know. I, I don't know. I, I do not know, which is, which is why I want like a direct question. Do you think that $5 is too little amount to pay for a pumpkin pie, a pumpkin pie, which weighs approximately two and a half pounds? It is not too little because I, by now know that it has happened makes me question what's inside of it exactly though that's the whole point because we have a very large pumpkin pie above us on another floor but we also have wine so i think everything's gonna ultimately work out just fine how much time do you have (laughs) well i i i don't feel too particularly tired i honestly in general think it's all gonna work out just fine i wonder i feel like i spent so much of the last few years knowing that i have this deep level of anxiety and deep frustration with the choices that a lot of people have made both globally but also very particularly domestically about political matters Mm -hmm. we've spent so much time over the past few years deciding that nothing fucking matters right like the words we use now i I know this word means this but i'm instead of that i'm just going to decide it it also means this or also i can ease out of it this way because we don't care about what things mean anymore. We don't care about the definitions of things anymore. We're just going to just keep talking and no one's going to hold us account for anything. So even though that's definitely a part of my waking act of things, I mean, I felt last week with the hearings on, this would be maybe a good thing if I worked in an office, I would not be able to watch like six hours in a row of testimony. Oh no, you would. I can tell you that people did. People did. Okay. People did. Okay. Lots of people did. I did not. Because I actually worked. I was doing house projects most of that time. That's and I, the only ones I really watched closely was Sondland. Just because the whole time I kind of was like, is this performance art? Because <laughs> this guy's having a great time. Still images from his testimony. Mm-hmm. He looks like he's having a fantastic time. And yet Schiff is alarmingly looking ever more wide-eyed. Anyway, my point is somehow I feel like things are all going to work out amidst all this crazy insanity eventually 
I mean, yeah, I mean, you know, there's, maybe there's, you think this is like a resonation of death kind of thing. There's no reason why everything has to bend forward all the time. There's no reason. Well, I think it's things go back and forth all the time, big and small. Right. It's important to remember that it, it's a it's a natural part of how things go. It was important to me that we saw a populist uprising sort of blue collar people who feel like they've been left behind thing around the world, which sort of corresponds to our electing Captain Orange. Mm-hmm. I'm familiar. Yeah. That concert of pushback to Western civilization's expansion makes sense to me. Like I could see that globally and say, oh, okay, it's a counter-revolution to 40 years of quote-unquote progress. Right. Liberal, liberal d- democracy. Do you ever think about the opening episode of the Aaron Sorkin product, The Newsroom, in which he gives that speech about American exceptionalism? Yes. I think about that a lot. As an I gotcha statement or a surprise or like a foreshadowing thing or it's foreshadowing, foreshadowing now if you look back at it. No, I just think about the important, it's very important to me for things to mean something and for things to matter. And part of that is for us to see as clearly as we can where we are now. Mm-hmm. And so dangerous is anyone who just cloaks himself in the flag and says, yay, America, because that can just ignore all the terrible things, which we see all the time. Sure. I have two small kids. They are, you know, one of them is in a public school, which is great, but public schools now are the subject of mass killings multiple times per week. And yet we live in a country which has no interest in dealing with that. We're not going to go down the political rabbit hole in this podcast, but that newsroom speech about how America used to be less fearful. I don't even necessarily agree with all the premises, but I think that it's so important to care about things in a way that you see the whole of them. Photography is special because of its limitations. Mm-hmm. because we've trapped a moment because we captured a, a fraction of a second because we can see that more clearly. That's what gives us this power. Isn't that directional too, though? Like sure. your, your per- perception and perspective is yours. Yeah. The What were you saying about draping yourself in the flag? Not always such a great thing that brought to mind Robert Frank and his, mm-hmm. His work, the flag actually covering up the couple people's heads where they do their thinking. Supposedly. We assume those two humans do their thinking in their well, heads. But. I haven't learned anything else yet. That's a very interesting reference point because now we have a Swiss man traveling around America, seeing America somewhat more clearly than maybe we were otherwise able to in that era. But who better to? No, exactly. Right? Someone like, out, out of context. I mean, that's what, that's what Tocqueville did before him, too. Yeah, I think Tocqueville was a little bit more raw, French, raw, a French way. But. Well, I know, but I think he was a little more raw, raw America. I think he felt indebted. I mean, couldn't you make the same argument about Frank in some way? Like, found a a new place to like practice his craft, which was filled with lots of crazy stuff to like photograph. Right, he probably felt very bewitched by the American landscape in front of him. Like you know, when I was talking to Chris Floyd. British photographer, he was talking about the color of the lines that in the middle of a road in America and that it's yellow and it's just a natural contrast with the sky and how it's extremely evocative to him. 
I don't think a lot about the color of the of the literally the paint on a road in America. It's one of those things that I can't see because I can't see it. Mm-hmm. The context is lost in me, wherein you know a Swiss man who is working in America can see class, can see disparity, can see this wide gamut. What's beautiful about the bottom and the top and places in between, maybe more more ably than than we could ourselves at the same time, or at least that's what we now celebrate him for. I think more often than not, work, creative work, comes from despair and responding to cruelty of some some sort. Do you think is that a modern decision though? I mean, photography, modern photography, the history of modern photography, especially documentary photography. You're absolutely, there's no other choice to say you're absolutely correct. We, we start with Kappa. No, but it, it's still what I was saying before we were recording. I was instructed and believe that more often than not, when you're putting something out into the world, the impetus for the person to actually do that and make it, make it happen, good, bad, or indifferent, is that they're responding to an absence. Often, I think absences are not good. You're trying to fill this this space with something that is proof that you were proof that you were here proof that you saw something proof that you experienced something you're you're communicating something that ultimately you feel that that something something has happened still responding to things that are happening is it is it possible to make to make work of some sort and it just be like an exercise in in creativity yeah of course but more often i think people are are responding to an absence i would agree with you in terms of the foundational premise of the way people are constructed mm-hmm. some of us don't have the father we wanted or don't have any father some of us don't have the family unit we wanted some of us are mourning the loss of something in some way some of us Lots of us have holes inside of them. Actually, I would probably say almost all of us have some kind of hole. Of course. In filling that hole, we respond to the world and then try to create the world that we don't see in front of us. Mm-hmm. I totally agree with that. Mm-hmm. I don't know how much conscious level of creativity flows through that, though. I think a lot of that is is deeper than that. And I think you could track back a lot of that. And, I, you know, a lot of um, there's the question in, in comedy about whether or not great comedy can come from people who are whole and had this very secure upbringing and were popular in school and played sports and all this other stuff. Some people are very reluctant to think that someone who had good swipe at childhood can possibly learn how to be funny and be to be deflective of attention or to absorb attention or to turn a conversation towards things that they would rather talk about instead of, so you don't look over here or that Mm -hmm. kind of stuff. I don't, I don't know if that's anyone will ever really truly prove that. I think a lot of us, even people who grew up in certain ways that other people would envy have a hole in some other way. Sure. No, I I agree. I definitely would not disagree with some of the idea, but I'm not saying that everybody that makes something or makes something of value that others sees is coming from a, a broken home of some or a broken life of some sort. We're all individuals. So some people react. I remember being in second grade when my parents got divorced and it seemed to be very impactful on my second grade teacher. And she was constantly asking me, you know, how I was and I'm okay. And she did it so much that it made me sort of want to give her better answers. You know, God love Miss Page, but she seemed to be having enough emotions for the two of us about the situation. 
I'm sure I was just deflecting or I'm sure I wasn't dealing with it or whatever else. Or you just were in second grade. <laughs> yeah. Or I was too young or whatever else. But like, you know, fast forward these many years later, my, both my parents are in successful marriages after that fact. It's such a part of so many people's stories that mm-hmm. we see every single day that it doesn't seem important in any particular way. Could it have been important to me? Could I have had a different reaction to it? Because could that have drawn me to do other things in my life? Sure. Absolutely. And it could have been, you know, more or less to anyone else. Mm-hmm. And I could be more or less sort of not even immune, but just more or less like turned off to those emotions. But I, I totally agree with the idea that we're all trying to fill whatever emptiness we see in the world or our, our, our own lives. And that may not even be your own life. Maybe it's just an emptiness that you see in the world. Right. That something is not reflected. So you go out and try to put that out there. You know, I think about art, capital A, and the impetus for art has obviously changed many times over. But historically, looking back towards what we now consider the beginnings of wherever we are now, looking back towards Renaissance art and looking back towards the art of the Middle Ages, and it was all apparently we think of now directed towards the glorification of God. Now, in, individualized within that, if you tell a deeper story, these artists are probably doing the things they're doing and making the choices they're making based upon their own lives and their own story and backgrounds and their own things they're, they're responding to. But the actual impetus, the actual thing that's creating the need, payment, the economy, the why the art existed in those times was very singular. Now we could have a whole different conversation about whether it's good ultimately that we have this several hundred years reign of religious art. And then you can go back even further and you can see art from many different other kinds of faiths or, you know, from around the world. And that certainly tells us a lot about the way we've lived over, over the course of time. I think it's interesting now that as we forecast back in art and culture, one of the most important things to find is artists who had an interest in daily life because it's much more telling of how more people lived then. It's few and far between in the record. Mostly we see noblemen and their daughters and sons and their dogs. Mostly we see you know, the bounty of fruit on a table. Mostly we see the people who could afford it and still we mostly see that too. It's only now that the means of creating art is so democratic that we are able also to see everything else. Do we though? Do we see more or do we see more of the same? We definitely see, I, I'm sure the patterns are the same, but at least if you were looking for it, you could see other now. The influencer, the influencer as art by PhD candidate, John Loomis. I do have a, a script I'm writing about, about, about an influencer, about, well, about, about a person stuck in a world of influencers. Do they know they are? Cause that, yeah, no, the, the, the protagonist is knowing. So it's like that rebel Wilson movie. Well, they are them, themselves, not an influencer. They are surrounded by influence or at least rubbing up against them enough. Do, that, they, do they get along with the influencers or that it's like Heather's and they just kind of like, I think it drives them to drink more than get along. <laughs> this just recently happened. Uh, you know, I was already thinking about this, but when I was in Scotland, I was with a good friend of mine 
Uh-huh. We had gotten down to the reason why we actually were in Scotland, which is my friend who covers whiskey was doing the thing he was there to do. He'd been invited there to do it, been paid for him to be there. Uh-huh. And I was tagging along with him for a couple moments on this VIP exclusive tour he was doing at a very famous distillery. Also invited were these hilariously caricatures of people. I don't know how they define themselves. I, I don't know if they think they're of the media, but the way they look, the way they act, certainly. But even more so, like, there's this guy using, like, a, I don't even know what he was using. Basically, like, a Canon Rebel with, like, a, you know, like, a crappy kit lens. And he's taking this terrible reflection picture. And he's working hard doing it, but not really. And not, like, you know, as a driver watching him, you're like, good God. So he makes this, like, wildly bad but also so heavily photoshopped even within like his the settings of his own clearly his camera is set to 11 and then showing it around everyone's like oh he immediately jumps up and like gives a little impromptu lecture on how to take great photographs to what he thinks is extremely willing and open crowd to to his incredible knowledge (laughs) it's just pure luck he didn't get beaten to death by myself or my friend who is a former professional photographer of of incredible capabilities you know like i hope maybe i don't hope but i don't know if i've ever been that completely unconscious and just disinterested in the actions and attitudes and experiences and knowledge of anyone else around me that i could go full into the world completely you know this is the same idea as you know having the flag around our shoulders and be full of self-righteousness and sure pride of Mount America and which could be which could never do any wrong this person was so assured in the way in which they entered the world and the and the confidence they had in their own credible talents and their ability to provide insight and content for the world that is almost beautiful you know it's the Kenny Powers as performance art but not even in performance art it's Kenny Powers as the actualized human who mm-hmm just is so full of delusion that it's almost an act of belief. So he wasn't aware of his audience. I don't know if this guy's aware of the time of the day. I don't know where he knows what country he's in. I he mean, wasn't, he wasn't a part of your group. No, no, he, no, so he, he, no, 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 no. He absolutely was a special invited guest. Oh, okay. He was, he was a VIP. He was exactly where he was supposed to be, but not a part of your, no, he was, a, he was a part of my friends. Oh, got it. Okay. Cadre. So he was just sharing something that he he was full was on thrilled about. It was beyond that. He was sharing, and he probably most of the people he was sharing with were like, "Oh, cool." But anyone who knows anything would also be like, "What the fuck is wrong with you, dude?" Mm-hmm. As much as as much as I find it disgusting, I love it. So it's hard for me to find fault with this person, but at the same time, it's such a terrible way to live without self knowledge without understanding of the context of, of things. I have a question for you. Shoot. But just before warned, after I ask this question, I mean, I'm going to ask you what you're thankful for, for Thanksgiving. Okay. I've said before, it's going to be a, a two minute podcast. Here's, here's the list that Michael, which does thankful for. I'm not even going to include your answer. I'm just going to say, thanks a lot. <laughs> <laughs> I'm the Matt Damon. Sorry. Yeah. We're, Sorry. We didn't have time for, we didn't have time for you. Go. <laughs> never come back (laughs) many times i have sought the distance of a couple days before editing a shoot just so i could see the shoot just so i could like see it with clear eyes and just like 
you know, and also not bring my own baggage and whether or not I felt like I, I shot particularly well or all the other things we that we also do on these things. Mm-hmm. Is there a correlation or is there similar experiences in editing? Do you give yourself time or space or are there ways in which you look at something and then go away and look at it again? Or how does that work? I mean, because you look at the volume of photography you look at is way larger than I do. And it's coming from a lot of different sources. Does that itself, because there's such a huge volume, kind of clean the palette because it's different? Or how, I mean, how do you how do you manage that? Managing the the number, finding the the gem in a, a shoot. It's hard to say because there's so many things that go into it, and there's so many demands on getting something out of it faster and faster, and nobody has time to to wait. That you, if you if you plan for it, sure, it's possible to like go in what you're knowing for what you know you're looking for find it and pull right back out but that also leaves no room for interpretation or just taking taking a breath and being able to be influenced by the two blueberry muffins that you had for breakfast that day and how does that impact which picture you respond to for whatever reason so that's the secret it's really a carbohydrate story it's there's a lot of demands on you from people that you're collaborating outside of the office with inside of the office and the audience that you're sharing something with ultimately but it's how you respond to all those demands and how you how you take them in that that impacts the work like you you may know that sally the designer only wants things that are vertical but but you also know that peter the guy on the web reminds you every day in your office that you know things look better on the web when they're horizontal and you know that Peter only knows that because three years ago you told him that, but he reminds <laughs> you every day. Oh, Peter. Yeah. You know, you also may have read some story in the newspaper or listened to a podcast that impacts the way that you interact with that that edit that day in that, that moment. And it, it would be unfortunate if you close yourself off to that, not inspiration, but information to take all this new information in may... No, may it, impact your edit. It, and it should because the... Hope- I mean, there are people that procrastinate for a number of reasons to just either say, I'm so busy and procrastinate editing a shoot for as long as they can or put it off because they really don't want to deal with it and not not don't want to deal with it, but don't are aware that they, they need to give themselves some some space as you're talking about to to go back in and really spend time with it clear out clear out all the stuff that you know you have to do and then go go in and dive into this thing that you really need to just immerse yourself in there's no right or wrong way every edit for a photo shoot is is different you're working generally with a different photographer a lot of times and it should be different it should be you are never the same person in in every shoot you're always you know, last year were the person that edited a thousand and two years later, you're the person that has now edited 4,000. So you're not, you're not the same and you have to be open to different stimuli to keep going. But hopefully, hopefully that hours of work that you're putting in, you're more selective or you're more aware of what's drawing you to something. Well, I think it also just echoes the photographer themselves who most good photographers don't think they know what's going to happen or don't think they know 
how they're going to feel once they're in the room. And they take a moment to actually have those feelings and experiences before they start making these decisions, which are going to alter what's going to happen. And I'm very thankful that's a, that's a possibility because that's kind of the human way we're going to respond. Mm-hmm. And it's one of the ways in which we then find value in that experience and that transaction is filtering it through our own bodies, our own minds, our own sets of contexts we have bringing to this photo shoot on this day that we happen to read this short story on the plane on the way yeah. there or whatever else, you know, you, so you just have to bring yourself. That's the easiest and hardest thing to do sometimes, especially to Thanksgiving. Uh, See what I did? I, I snuck it right in there. I just yeah. I ended around. Yeah. You're right. I've never, uh, it, it's Thanksgiving week. Happy Thanksgiving, Michael. John, thanks. I'm thankful for you. I'm thankful for you. I always have seen skits on SNL about either incredibly combative family situations in which, you know, people are fighting about whatever, football or politics, whatever else. And I've always kind of been wistful about the opportunity to do that. My family's filled with incredibly strong personalities, which may, You've known me for quite a while. That might not surprise you that the people who also share my DNA have also very strong opinions. I wouldn't say I'm I'm the weakest sauce among them, but I certainly am a more balanced version of what it could be, which hopefully scares you a bit. But what happens is Why that, have you not invited me over? <laughs> well, the, the the real the real fireworks happen in Florida. Oh. Uh, but you would they would they would love you. They would love to invite you. And they're, you know, there's no. I usually sh- do well with people's parents. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I love people's parents. You know, it was just like I was, I was trying to describe earlier about seeing a thing and sort of being aghast or, or being disgusted by it, but also loving it because it's so just it. Mm-hmm. Like I, I love distillations of things, mm-hmm. good or bad. I really like when a thing is really that thing, you know, like, being from Florida and seeing, you know, Florida men in the headlines as a cultural phenomena when they're really a Florida thing and it's like the most disgusting warped version of that thing, you're kind of just like, you can't help but golf clap it. You know, it's such a cl- crazy, strong. Wow. Wow. You do you. You yeah. do you. You bring out that. You Florida. are. You clearly are doing you. Define Florida. I would kind of like to have that experience around a dinner table where, where the racist grandma goes this way and this turns this and the the new girlfriend goes that you know like the whole I, i'd love i'd love to see it's an american tradition that maybe you just have missed out on i maybe i have I, have you been party to i i have not fireworks i no? have not no i have not either everybody plays along no i i think there was one thanksgiving where even what was said was not combative, but it was just surprising. Right. Surprising because this person had never said anything like that before. And it was not, it was, it was absolutely in no way like controversial, but it, this person had never expressed that thought before yeah. publicly. So it was like, oh, well, looky there. Happy Thanksgiving. Fantastic. Yeah. yeah. Thanksgiving is my favorite holiday. It's a good one. Why, why is it yours? I feel like it's the most honestly American of ho- holidays. I mean, it's yeah. about food and football. Yeah. And I like the weather this time yeah. of year. It's, it's getting it's just, so I'm, I'm now able to live outside a little more. I'm just like, so thank good. God. Especially, you know, being from Florida yet again. This is like the first day of the year I'm not sweating. So like, you know, like, or, or the first day in a long time. 
that was great. We used to shoot guns at my uh, my aunt and uncle's in Gainesville. That was fun. It just felt that the very air outside felt full of. You want to put on a sweater and play football with the Kennedy? <laughs> no, I no, I, I wouldn't know what to do with that. But you want to put on a sweater and and grill a or fry a turkey in the dirt. A, a little dirt turkey yeah dirt turkey yeah. isn't that don't they dig a hole and put some i don't oil? know how that i don't know how that's done but uh, it, people hurt themselves well people hurt themselves because have you ever fried a turkey no okay the only thing you need to know is you have to thoroughly thaw the turkey so you don't create a turkey missile that's what it does got it yeah because got if it. you put a frozen turkey mm-hmm. and all of the water mm-hmm. that's frozen into a vat of right. very hot oil. Right. Does Elon Musk know about this? Because maybe that's the fuel he should use. Frozen turkey missile fuel. Yeah. Um, I, mean, I don't know if he knows about this, but I did pre-order a Cybertruck this week. It would probably smell pretty good. Uh, I bet it doesn't smell terrible. Instead of that weird like explosion thing over Los Angeles that keeps happening because he's doing this X-Factor What business. is he doing? What? What is he doing? <laughs> I heard that. I heard that like you were right next to me. Instead of the three and a half feet away. <laughs> yeah, it's true. These days, my family's Thanksgiving is mostly just, I would say, more the women than the men getting wasted on rosé champagne. Woo. And then my- oh, oh, whoa, you just took it up a notch. Rosé champagne. Yeah, rosé champagne. Yeah, big time. Is it champagne from France or is it like? It's a combo. It norm, um, My family is devoted to Schramsberg, which is America's finest sparkling white wine uh-huh. provider, uh-huh. purveyor. Schramsberg is the oldest caves in Napa, for and they hand turn right. their, their sparkling wine. Right. It's not champagne because it's uh-huh. not from Champagne, France, but it is damn fucking good. Uh-huh. Um, and uh, it's a great tour if you're ever in Napa. I have not. Is this podcast is not sponsored by Shremsburg, but God knows they should be since I've I've bought a hell of a lot of their product over the years. <laughs> so we'll normally have a combination of Shrums and of uh, actual French champagne. Does your family take a lot of pictures at holidays? No, there's one picture that has to happen. My grandmother, uh, Gami, we call her Gami. She demands a group picture, mm-hmm. which is always a source of. That might be the source of the greatest conflict of the entire day. I have at times, especially at the big group Thanksgiving, which has it doesn't happen as often anymore as I mean, sure. Uh, I have set up a backdrop and shot portraits before. Mm-hmm. I shot four by fives. Last time I did that on a white backdrop, but I shot it on on a new four by five camera that was really. How long ago was that? I uh, was it. It was um, maybe four years ago, hmm. five years ago, something like that. There were some problems with the camera itself, and I was not technically astute enough for the camera. I did not know well enough to overcome them. But uh, that doesn't matter. The act of formally photographing your family on, on white is important, it, or it was important to me. Why, why so? Why, and why on white? I think it's important for someone who regularly asks. It doesn't matter if it's on white, any background, but mm-hmm. a background that someone— On background. Out of context is the only thing that matters in that sense. I ask people often under your direction and with, with your help to be photographed on white or out of context. We were just talking about this with some regularity. That's yes. one of the things I do. And it's important to do it occasionally with people who 
know you in the mo- most possible intimate way and ask them to do it and then feel their reaction and feel the way they are frustrated or enlivened by the process because then your barometer is reset for what this feels like. Mm-hmm. And you know, the next time you're asking someone who's nervous or someone who is reluctant or someone who is whatever. Do you give them a line that you work used on Aunt Sally? No, because I'll just force Aunt Sally you, to get in the do fucking Do you workshop frame. that stuff with Aunt Sally and then put it on? I don't, I don't, I, I, I don't ever. With your professional subjects? I think as I move forward in my career, I do less and less and less and less and less preparation. I trust myself to be in a room with another human and to try to make a human connection. It doesn't always work. Sure. But I'm ever more interested in meeting someone and earnestly meeting them for the first time and getting to know the way in which we're going to use words towards each other and try to figure out if we can understand the same language. I think that's, uh, I think it's important. I think that's a better footing for a good session than me having the best line. Now, that doesn't mean that I shouldn't have a good line or a good joke or all the other tools I can use to put them at Mm-hmm. ease or mm-hmm. put them at odds or fill the room with tension or do whatever else but so i i got a a text request a week ago what's it wait what, what's a text a text request uh i got a request that was sent to me by text mm. a text request someone texted me a request got it i have a cell phone and my favorite aunt sent a text in which she requested that I do something for her. Oh. I could go on. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So your tech your, so, your aunt texted you. My favorite aunt texted me uh and said, Hey, you're good with the photoshops. Mm-hmm. Here's here's a bunch of pictures which I'm texting you over over a cell phone. Can you <laughs> Can you take use this one picture, which was a, a group of her family, her three kids and their their others that you know their family has grown. And and Alf. And well, I, I, it would be easier with if Alf was there, but it was not Alf. Her oldest son has a has a boy of his own. And that boy is old enough now to, I guess, not want to pay attention to the photographer, the waiter who was taking this group portrait of, of everybody at a long table, you know, poking, poking out further in as you go down the table so that you can still see them. I like that. We've never figured that out as a, as a modern culture. Well, but it's, yeah, no, the young boy, her grandson wasn't having any of it. And he's, you can see him off in the corner just doing whatever young boys do and not giving a toot. But it but it she wanted to use it as part of her Christmas card right. pictures. And I care very deeply for this this family and, and my my favorite aunt. And she knows that I went to the art school and I have the Photoshop skills. So she's basically asking me to take other pictures of her first grandchild and pop him in to this family photo so that he looks like he's actually paying attention and not being his true self at that, that moment Oh yeah. in the background. And I, I'm thinking, but wait, it's a great photo. Like right. 30 years from now, you'll not have one handed him to be looking at the camera. Right. Like, right. Because it's, it's more authentic. It's more, 
in the moment, it's more, you know, oh, that was the Thanksgiving where little Peter didn't pay attention right. to any picture. And then right. suddenly two years later, he's like all smiles. I know that, but but I know the force is to everybody must pay attention and look at the camera and smile and we're all present and accounted for it. And we can look at everybody's faces and see how they age compared to last year's Christmas. Card. Right. I get it. And I've had this question at work too. Like, what should I do with all my family photos? I want to delete the ones where everybody's like making funny faces or not looking. I'm like, no, don't. Right. Those, those are the good those, ones. Those are, the good those ones, are like, right. that's where Peter and Sally actually reveal who they are. And, right. and you're going to like delete that because they weren't making the perfect smile. Like maybe they don't have a perfect smile. So she's, she's given me five or six photos of source material to to select from to put him, her grandson, back in the photo. I, and I don't have the Photoshop skills. And several of them, he looks younger than he may now. So that <laughs> that's inappropriate. So now I'm... Is a I'm Benjamin like, Button I'm now Right. I'm now this, reading yeah. the photo of like, who, who are you? Like, who, <laughs> who do I want you to be in this photo that I've been asked to create by your This is a whole, yeah, you really, there's layers here. Well, it, it is relatable because I think it's what we're all going through in a way about what is, what is fact, what is real, who, and questioning the, the authorship of who am I to say in my mind, I had a whole script written about like, okay, what if 30 years from now he like looks at himself, identifies the picture that I've manipulated and realizes that, wait a second, that's the same picture from three pages ago in the photo book. If we still have photo albums, how did I wear the same clothes in the same bad lighting right. in this picture? What does that mean? And then maybe that changes the way he feels about his, his grandmother and like, I'm projecting. Why am I? Why? <laughs> well, we're also not why? filtering through the deep fakes he'll be living through in the right. next 30 years. But right. You know, I, I really questioned what I was, was doing and the value in it. But because I care for my aunt, I did it. And so I picked a photo, roughly cut him out, stuck him next to his father, erased the edges as best I could so that he looked, there were still layers in front of him and behind him. But I left his real self in the background. <laughs> oh, you layered it. Nice. So, so there's like a, a, ghost oh yeah grandson in the background with fake grandson this is like a french impressionist thing it, it's it's a little it's i wish it was but it's not i sent it to her i said this is best i could do sorry it took me so long happy holidays joyous noel happy kwanzaa all that kind of stuff yeah which i say to her all the time and a couple days later i got a another text request saying hey your uncle bob thinks that he's too big in the picture <laughs> Oh, his right. head looks too big can you make it smaller it was like yeah i knew that was going to happen and retouchers everywhere yeah right right <laughs> but like this, I, I i almost wish this is something that you just like didn't have time for so you sent to me to send to zach vitale my retoucher i thought of it believe me oh i, I wish you had it. and then i would I have interrupted, list interrupted zach and be like hey zach really need to jump on something right now Uncle Bob is really concerned because <laughs> I would I wouldn't even given him the right context. I would have just been like ultra serious, but he's like, oh, right, right now. So, but I, but I, I went back and I just tried to shrink the grandson, but that didn't work because I had erased enough from 
the, yeah. the layer. I knew that I had to keep the layer. I raced enough from the layer that it didn't match up anymore. So I had uh-huh. to like, I had to fake it. And so much of the body is like a ghost body now with the ghost real self behind him. Right. So there's like three of them in there now. Is the end of the story that basically we just have like a, a still grab from the Simpsons and you just kind of placed <laughs> it over a few things? Well, I, the other the other thing is, you know, I, I did it, sent it back. They responded, liked it. And in between all that, I got a, a, a DM on Instagram from my cousin saying, so I hear you're now involved in my mother's annual crazy Christmas experiments fiasco. Right. And See, I was like, this yeah, is, I, I am. I have strong feelings about this because my mother is very much the camp of, I don't want to see anyone's true personalities or yeah. selves in these right. fucking pictures. Right. You will be good examples of the breed. Right. Smile at the right place. And then it doesn't matter. I want people I send them to to think that I did a good job with whatever the fuck I was supposed to do here. No, I have a horrible story and I don't want to share it. Don't you? Will, this no. isn't a, I don't have any power of, uh, you know, this isn't a tribunal here. I might do better under a tribunal. I don't know. But family picture making is big in my family so big that everybody takes pictures endlessly so much so that my grandmother when when she and my grandfather were alive he would take so many pictures my grandmother would finally get upset and say lord walt just get on with it lord walt like after picture 20 lord walt Pretty much just like basically almost in saying it so often is basically knighting walt uh, Walt was knighted, and so much so that their children and grandchildren, me, would say it back to them, or or whenever somebody in the family was taking too long to try and get that picture, Lord Walt, and just, yeah, and you knew what that—that's good. That meant like, like shorthand for like, come on, make it snappy, right, right? Make it snappy, photographer. So this is this is something that it's easy to struggle with your own kids in the moment. I want my kids to be themselves. I want them to be wild and crazy and weird and insane and frustrating and chaotic and all these things. But you're also just like, you have to fucking eat sometimes. You have to go to sleep sometimes. You have to get to the end of the day sometimes. Mm-hmm. And so it's tricky to figure out when it's okay and when you have the energy to be, say, you know, to feel like it's okay to let it all unravel, let them go crazy, let them do a thing. Because if you submit, I actually think the true joy in parenting is submission. If you submit, you can actually get sometimes to a place where you're enjoying their energy. Right. And seeing it and truly like being a part of this tiny little moment, which will never repeat itself. It's hard to do. It's really hard to do. (laughs) You wanted to talk about meanness as creativity yes john (laughs) (laughs) meanness cruelty saying no can lead to creative things like you know avidon said no to good light no to this and no to that and seemed to do pretty well with it i I think we remember i I think that's bullshit though why well why is that bullshit i think that we're i mean it it was a it was a thought, and I think it it worked. It's not, I don't think it worked. I I like Avedon's work. I think that he was you know he's one of these people who there was an edge to what we now remember by him doing, 
but he was using good light and or at least assistants were giving him good light. I mean, the quality of what he was doing, the, it was all lined up for him, him to be successful. So okay, fair enough. My, 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 see, yeah, we remember these things and like, we, we, you know, we use these words about these things that aren't actually. Yeah. Okay. You're right. You caught me. I just used a, a cliche. I do. You know, it's interesting. I was thinking about the picture of the model with the elephant. Sure. I don't actually, I can't remember all the details about, you know, I, I once knew her name and what well, I, maybe I knew the elephant's name too. I don't know. I'm going to call her Davina, but sure. it's something like that. Right. I miss the sort of exotic and bizarre, the just on the face of it, wildness and largeness of photography that defined some of those eras. The photography itself was maybe a little bit less sophisticated and subtle and that there are more photographers now working in a way that has a lot of special value. Like you know, they're doing these things that are very interesting and, and careful and things. Technical specialness. Yeah. But I guess I would, the way I would describe it is that there's a technical savviness to what they're doing, but then there's also this like thing that ha- can happen with lighting and other things that has this sort of vibe outside of that vibe. People relied upon, sort of this almost like vaudevillian approach to photography where like, hey, let's get a tall guy with a midget or sight gags or whatever else. Mm-hmm. And there's something so honest and true and like good about the badness of those ideas mm-hmm. that we're not doing anymore. It's so, e- quote unquote, easy to create something very interesting with one person in a room that we can highly control these different factors that we're not also then doing this model who's dressed in this very beautiful way with the rough skin of an elephant. Mm-hmm. Now, I don't personally want to be involved with trying to source and rent and deal with the insurance for an elephant on a bunch of my shoots. Okay, I thought you were going to say the model. <laughs> I'm not worried about the model part, <laughs> but you know that we don't, you don't really see that a lot. Or, am I wrong? Are you seeing a lot of, extraordinary big large sort weird things like it seems like that's 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 a bygone thing i think about this a lot actually i think about the things that my first experience is being drawn in by images and learning that that there were people actually putting thought into this creation and very carefully constructing what would be in the frame and and how it would play out i think about that a, a lot that first spark which was was amazing and so fulfilling and so uh enrapturing really yeah that, I, th- uh, I think fulfilling was the right word i always think about appetizing like there's something so wholesome in the way that i mean like it you know it feeds you about the imagery that of that era well it just it just made me curious and it made me mm. Once they figured out that people actually thought about this and put in effort to make certain things happen and make certain things appear the way they do, that there was, there was great power in that, that there was great responsibility, that it was, it was interesting. And trying to keep that, that spark, that, uh, that energy from that initial conversation that happened some time ago, it's different. It's different now. It's, it's just, it's just different. There's so much 
there's so much and there's so much of it that is repetitive and there's just so much of the same thing. And the way that you experience things more often is different than it was 35 years ago. Right. It's basically something is saying, oh, we see that you like this. Right. Here's more. Here's 30 more pictures of a blueberry. You know, it's no longer, it's no longer you sort of figuring it out and finding it. It's, it's now something else is coming to you and saying, because you like X, here's some more X. Yeah. It's interesting because you can even trace like popular culture. Like I remember watching, I don't even know if I was watching the thing or the, or like a syndication of the thing, but things like laughing were part of the built-in structure of the show was, and now here's something completely different. Right. Like that right. was, that was a part of the thing that was the thing. And that was ne- Rocky and Bullwinkle too. And now for something completely, totally different. Well, that's actually back. Rocky and Bullwinkle is new again. What? Yeah. My, my mouse and squirrel is back. My friend, oh, no moose, 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 and squirrel. And squ- moose yeah. and squirrel. Uh, my kids are totally into Rocky and Bullwinkle on, on Amazon prime. New. Thanks, Jeff Bezos. <laughs> <laughs> new drawings or old drawings? No, brand new. And, and who are the villains? Same, Natasha and Natasha Boris. And, and Boris. But they're more. I, I still want to break into like a Russian accent. And I right, uh, they're more good-natured and also sure. bad at their jobs. Oh well, that's that's because the thing that created them is different now. Sure, is vastly different now. Though we get much more of this fucking Mueller shit, we're gonna have to break it out. That's what I hate. All these reboot junky malarkey things it's just it's different it's like who wants to it's just so gross it's like let's hit the switch and we have the same thing that we had no you don't you don't it's just not well but you're right i think you were you were already hit on the thing was that people are now being fed the thing they already do there's all these people that didn't watch friends when it was first on which is fine but now it's like you know, on forever repeat on Netflix. Like, like why, why? It's super popular on Netflix. I don't, I don't, I don't get it. I don't get it either. I don't get it. I didn't really get it the first time though. I didn't either. The first season was like, yeah, no, but then I got it. I understand the warm feelings from watching things that you already know what's going to happen to some degree. I really thought I was going to be more like Will and Grace where people were, drinking and having a good time and going to shows and, and living a good life and being you like, like friends was a little juvenile. Will and grace was a little bit more like, Oh, okay, let's figure this out. And right. let's have a glass of something too. I also didn't have a TV for most of the nineties. See, that's what I'm saying. I so have like from late nineties until I mean, 2000, 10 or 11 i didn't have a tv there's a blackout period where i was too poor i was in college or too poor to have a a tv with any consistency to to work now will and grace i i can't do it oh no sure yeah no it's not even like i it's not i i don't i think i probably couldn't have done it the first one was better it's not even that and and i just sound like some old codger that's fine no it's not even that i i no i'm i'm middle middle aged (laughs) do the math it's deborah messing I can't do it. I, I really can't. And I feel bad about it. While I'm watching her, I both hate it 
and feel bad about it at the same time. Because it's no one in history has ever acted like that. I mean, does anybody like fake sick so they can stay home and watch these shows from the nineties? I'm sure people are faking sick and, and I'm sure people are faking sick and they're watching whatever Netflix tells them. They exactly. Might like, they're, they're, they're binging on whatever, but I would fake sickness and stay home so I could watch. I love Lucy. That was never my thing. That's okay. No, I I'm, I'm happy for it to be your thing, but it was, it was, it was a good thing. It was, yeah. a, I liked shows that had strong women characters that were smart, but didn't like really, I mean, Lucy was goofball, but she had like, she had plans. She had plans. She had a, a sidekick who would like talk was her wingman or, or get her out of trouble or throw under the bus too. Like it was, <laughs> it was great. Yeah. All the choices, really. All the choices, all the things that a friend should be. Yeah. Here's that bus, Michael. I like though that your sense of creativity, having had these very strong pop culture experiences and then nothing in a daily way from, you know, TV and then something again later. Well, I mean, I have used, I think, multiple times references I give to photographers from music videos from the 80s. Mm-hmm. Because I think that for me is the last time that I can really see like a, like a visual, people visually trying to figure out the world. And people using that format to figure out where they fit in i mean a lot of it's junk but there's a clear like there's references there's references to things that happened 30 years before Mm -hmm. there's retelling of certain things there's again they're they're like it's a rich little format of let's let's respond to things let's either remake something with a twist or let's reference stuff and 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 through that there was a whole a whole world of like, oh, like there's a lot out there. I haven't thought of this before, but you're right. Looking back from the photography industry and looking back on, I would say right now, photography has to evolve and has to change and has to grow and has to re-engage and has to lead us. I mean, my formative years, the otherwise known as the 80s, there was a lot of creative pushback against the Reagan era. And I think this era were, cause you know, things take a little time to, to sure, build and to sure. make. Although I think it's a little too long. I think we're just still trying to figure out how do you respond to all this craziness? Because, Oh, by the way, before we got here, there was, there was plenty of craziness to begin with. Right. But in the eighties with, with the, with the avid, the music video, you had this whole creative space, which was formless. Mm-hmm. And so, we're going to put music on TV. It's going to have a visual component. What will that look like? And so you had all these people figuring it out and their efforts were being shown to millions of people almost live. It was going from an infancy to a public consumption, consumptive good very quickly. And it's actually a really important case study for how do we go from nothing to something in a evocative way in a very short period of time, because I think that photography is going to have to build these bridges to other visual medium in order to better express editorial sensibilities 
in a variety of medium and channels and engagement sort of levels in the next few years. We're going to have to start changing the way we're getting people interested in the products and the, and the stories we're telling because the actual channels and mediums and publications are changing so quickly that there's going to be a whole sea change of how this works. And so, you know, this is something I've talked about a number of times in the podcast already, but I take a lot of energy and solace and sort of hope from my friends who have started to remove the idea that they are a quote unquote photographer or whatever they, they identify as from the way they think about their jobs. Mm -hmm. And they're now just trying to see themselves as a content creator of whatever that's going to work. What way will I be able to best express the way this content makes me feel the way this content can best connect with an audience or whatever today is going to be the thing that connects and then builds and engages. Yeah. That's the thing that I care about today because I'm not, I'm no longer interested in advocating a medium. I'm trying to tell a story. Mm-hmm. I'm going to use this now wider and wider and wider and deeper set of tools to do it. And as soon as you step back from the idea of I do this and only this, you realize that, oh, wait, I have all these other tools and skills and sort of you're like one step away from a really wide range of colors and brushes and for, for your palette. And I think it's really important for us to understand that and to then start embracing it. I, I agree with you. The way I have expressed that in other conversations is that until the photographer, until the visual person sort of demands to be at the top instead of at the bottom, until the visual maker demands to be at the start instead of the last one hired and the first one out of the door, I don't think there's a lot of change. I think in in modes of production, publications were started with editors. Editors hired copy editors, fact checkers, and then they hired a creative director. Then they hired designers. Then they hire a photo editor, and then they hire a, a photographer. And usually in that reverse order, that's who's first out the door. I think until visual makers demand that they be, and, and that's why their salaries, I think, are also the lowest because they're the last ones hired. There's nothing left. Until they demand that they are at the top and the startest and the impetus, then there's no change. I agree with what you're saying, but I think it's also part, another way to say the same thing is to say until photographers or until, you know, like I just said, until content creators are the ones who are creating that future. And instead of waiting for someone to say, Hey, you know, this time, why don't we do this? Instead of we need to be the people approaching the client said, Hey, what if we did this? And then they're driving that vehicle. They're driving that storytelling vehicle towards the goal. Mm -hmm. And then the publication or the channels say, Oh, we love these people because they they're doing these other things. And so it changes the hierarchy. It changes everything about what, how we're doing this thing. No one ever thinks they don't know what's next until they see an example of what could be like, that's, that's the goal here. That's, that's the challenge. It's not to do a better version of what we've already done. 
which is also, I mean, that's a, that's a personal goal of mine in that one of the reasons why, unlike a lot of other image makers over the last you know decade, I haven't really invested myself in motion work and in, in directing more stuff is I really want to be a, as good of a still photographer as I can, because I think that on to itself is important. I've now seen, I don't really want to do motion. What I want to do is everything. And I almost am glad that I didn't get caught up in like, oh, well, motion is the next wave. Because yeah. now I see so clearly that none of them are the next thing. Right. They're, everything's, the, everything's next thing. the next thing. And my future clients are waiting for me and all of us to create the next pieces that are going to start filling in these gaps of how we're going to tell these stories. No one has them today. It's up to us to create them for these things. And so I'm busy pitching stories to some of my clients and I'm writing these sort of like prospectuses on like, what are we going to do? And it's like, we're shooting motion. We're shooting still photography. We're shooting drones. We're shooting things for gifts. We're shooting, we're shooting VR stuff. We're shooting 17 different things. And it's going to take longer and not all of it's going to work based upon whatever subject matter we're going to do, but we're going to do all of it. I was rewatching talking head music videos to prepare myself for a podcast episode because the graphic designer, Abby Hattigan, I had uh-huh. on, she made a painting mm-hmm. displayed above us. In I've living seen room. that painting. It's a nice one. It was based upon a talking head song. And so I was rewatching the video once in a lifetime. How did I get here? You're right. I hadn't seen the video in, I don't know, pick a They're number. They're good videos. They're fun time videos. Well, more importantly, just being good. I mean, it's a good video. It is a wildly singular act of creativity that he decides to do these things, which outwardly, especially thinking of him in terms of like 1980s, you know, masculine roles, just none of those things are normal things to decide to do in a video. Like to the way he like synchronizes with these like dancing things are happening from these different world sort of things. It's very not normal. A lot of people in the music video industry were either painters or they come from some sort of a, an art school background. So there are seeped in at that time, probably the, you know, a lot of references from the cold war era, the, the happening era of the 70 where seventies, where, you know, the art was, you know, writing something on a wall saying, I'm thinking of an apple being cut slowly. And, you know, that's the painting, right? Like, like they're, they're, they're coming from this world where the subject of painting became painting instead of God, as you referenced earlier, you know, like, like right. Or certainly the subject became the, the process the of process. creating the art. Right. But, 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 but really the, the subject of the painting was, was painting itself. And that shift that turned standing up and saying, oh, this is all, this is all crazy. How did I get here? You know, it, it makes sense. It right. Ma- now that it makes sense. It just, it's easy to say it makes sense because we're looking back. It happened. And now I can draw connections to things because it happened. And I'm thankful. Ah, uh, John, uh, uh, I'm uh. thankful for those things I was exposed to. I'm thankful that back in the day I had to sit down with my 
my mother and stepfather and watch George Michael's I Want Your Sex and explain to them why it was a good video and why I should be allowed to watch it. I'm thankful that that process of like, I knew it was good and I knew it wasn't going to harm me for the rest of my life. Right. But I'm thankful that I had to really thankful that I had to do it, but I'm thankful that I did do it. it. Yeah. Yeah. Was, was a good conversation that they saw in me that there was a chance that they were willing to, to give me to watch this and that they were willing to listen to what I had to say. The thing that struck me about watching David Byrne in that video was less about he's a thankful person. Sorry, not sorry, but he's a thankful person. (laughs) And I I think he's trying to draw a lot of attention to other things too. Have you, have you signed up for his new newsletter? I haven't things to be thankful for. Oh, wow. We're just full circle in this motherfucker. This by the end of the show, we'll be brought to you by some corporate sponsor. It sounds like, um, what I, what I leave Libby. Oh, Libby. Okay. Libby, Libby, Libby. You'll like it on the table, table, table. What I now see is a artistic presence, which is not stuck in their own psyche and skin. And they're moving. Like what? Like what? Why? Like what? No, I just, I, I see that thing. I remember myself in an earlier time. Yeah. And I think about how frightened I would be to be myself. Sure. My kids already start are have already started understanding that their mother and father are not, you know, normal. Uh-huh. And so we talk I talk to them a lot about silliness because I think there's few things more important than just to enjoy our daily existence and sure. to be silly and to enjoy each other. And it already <laughs> sort of grates on my daughter because she see she understands it's not what everyone's doing. Mm-hmm. And so she feels like to some degree it's an attack on her if I'm being silly with her and not being normal, not being, mm-hmm. I'm not making sense. Mm-hmm. And that's fine, but it's just going to be a lifelong struggle for her then mm-hmm. because I only want to be silly with her because it's the most special thing I can do because I love her. It's like the Alex, not projecting, but it's like the Alex B. Keaton problem. Oh, yeah. 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 She doesn't have the, we're not, we're not. I mean, that, that. that's like several stages advanced of like, my parents were hippies, so I'm going to be a Republican from the 1980s. Right. Yeah. Totally. Yeah. Um, we're really going deep 80s, huh? You know, I'm full, <laughs> I'm full of it. I was there. Yeah. I survived. Yeah. No, I'm, yeah. Some, some people didn't. <laughs> that's, that's, that's the truth. Well, some people got in a time machine and just arrived to today. There, okay. Right. So there's a lot of, there's a lot of that which I think we are in a forever loop where smarter people than me have, have said we keep going back to the 20th century to reference culture. Right. And like, why can't we have something new? Why right. can't we have something new? Right. Why can't we move forward? And again, bigger picture. Why can't we move forward? Yeah. Like something has to happen yeah. for us to move forward. Good or bad. Yeah. I think, well, I mean, we're creating that the the somethings oh, on a daily basis, so it's, it's, it's something's coming. gonna happen. It's uh, coming, but I, you know, in terms of <laughs> in terms of Zella and silliness, she loves it, but she's also in a body and in a mind and and sees it and is like, Ugh. it's not that she doesn't like it. 
she doesn't yet understand how to make fun of herself and enjoy the idea that she doesn't always have to, you know, she's very protective of her identity and her sense of what is her and what is okay. Mm -hmm. And I, I want her to be very confident in it, but I want her to be more confident so that it doesn't matter if, if there's a joke or someone's being silly with her, that she can enjoy that too. And so we talk about, about sense of humor. Mm -hmm. Six year olds don't, she doesn't, she can't really understand the enjoyment you can get from making fun of yourself and then to make other people laugh from that. She just, she can't get there. That doesn't still stop me from being silly and weird and funny with her. Sure. And in the same way, they will never stop my wife from <laughs> dancing like a maniac while she's making dinner and making them laugh and whatever else. I don't dance like a maniac, so I use words and and do funny things with them. What but do you like, mean don't dance like a maniac. I do dance like a maniac, but not as it's not as part of my repertoire as it is my wife's. She really lives it. I saw her do. I think it was yet was it this morning yesterday? She broke into a full on like early nineties like dance remix. Nice. I don't even know why. What just I mean, but why not? Why right? not? Yeah. Got into it. Mm -hmm. And you know, no, she wasn't showing off. There's no one here. She just that's just that's what happened. And I it's I couldn't have married another person who's not capable of that. <laughs> that's fantastic. It is. That's fantastic. And that's what I see in David Byrne in that video. I see someone who's not tethered, at least for that moment, to mm. the way others see him. Or he's brave enough to take them on a journey using his own body as the, as a vehicle. Yeah. There's some awareness in a performer that of their body, of their presence and what, what makes sense for them to, to do and get away with, with a, with an audience. It's, it's physical. It, it's, it's, you almost a, got there. I, I really thought we were going to break into a, it got close. I felt like I got close. I could do a Xanadu. Ooh, I don't know. Let's say that for a different not a Xanax, no. a Xanadu. Yeah. They should have a similar effect, but somehow <laughs> don't. Xanadu was awesome. Mm -hmm. Was dream world crazy like. Like it might as well have been a part of the never ending story or something. Part of it, because most of it was not, but part of it yeah. was kind of like the never ending story. Yeah. But you have you have to be you can't be totally ignorant. You have to have some awareness of self when you're performing, when you're interacting with people, when you're making pictures, when you're, you're drawing from yourself and what all the stuff that's gone in to make you, you have to be aware. You have to, there is no nothing. You have to be aware. No, I, yeah. You know, and we've been on set together and you've seen, you know, I, I'm, very willing to go to a place and become sort of a performer on set in order to get a subject to a place. But that seems separate to me than watching a true performer in a performance doing a thing, which seems incredible. No, nah, it's, it's all performance. It's all performance. You, you perform for your kids, you perform for your boss, you perform for your wife. It has to be, you can't, you can't be the same person for your kids as you are your boss. That wouldn't work. No, no. There's lots of roles. Now, now I think what is also important in, in this process, or at least feels important to me personally, is becoming ever more 
the same among all the different roles. Why? Why would you want to? First of all, I've been my own boss for a very long time. So some of these, I don't have as many expectations for like, oh, I got to do this and this, whatever. Now, I'm certainly am many different things because to that because you know, that's how we experience life. I think it's an admirable goal to try to not necessarily overlap all yourselves into one plane, but to ever more give a more wide variety of the different situations a better, truer sense of what you are. Because I think that when you're being more you and you're having more fun, you're letting people in. Yes. <laughs> but yes, but no. Sure. Right. Yes, absolutely. I think that would be fabulous. Some people aren't ready for you. No, I don't, but I don't care about that. Also, I spent, okay. my, I spent my whole life knowing that the people who are getting me and aren't ready for me or so, are getting me and don't want any more of me. <laughs> and I'm, and I'm, that actually, that's never really bothered me and it doesn't bother me. I don't care. I mean, that's, that's great. Are you teaching a class on that? I don't think there's, there is a class in that. I, I actually think the act of photographing someone is sort of a class in that. You know, like I'm part of what I'm trying to get out of people when I'm trying to photograph them and trying to move them and whatever is having, is trying to get them to live out loud. Sure. Trying to, you know, trying to, to be able to amp up a version of themselves. Sure. Aren't you very Joan Didion? Oh, I've, I don't think I've ever been pushed that direction. Well, what you're saying is basically that you're trying to get somebody to reveal themselves. And in a way, you want that because that, that is what you're after, no matter what the consequences after. That, that in some respect, once you've taken the picture, once she's written her book, it doesn't matter what they think. I, I do feel that way because I'm, I'm, I'm glad to know it. Um, I feel that way because even if it ultimately takes us further away, that self-knowledge on their part, if I'm a part, a small part of them finding that realization, I'm happy to play the part. You're not a social worker. You're not a social worker. You're here to get a story, to tell a story, to show a picture. Right. You're not a social worker. You're not there for them. Although sometimes I think we're now expected to be social workers. Well, I think what the way I hear what you say is that oftentimes I'm expected to, and I'm asked to by the subject to make them look good which is not my job. I'm hired to make them look interesting or put them in a situation in which they might, you know, like you said, reveal themselves or live in a moment or do something which someone might find illustrative or interesting to engage in a subject. But my job is certainly not to make the best picture of them in terms of their own perceptions that they've ever seen. Right. I'll go along with that as a thesis in order to, get access and and move into this world. But I'm going to let you down mostly usually on that every time. And I'm going to do it willfully gleefully. And if you're there, if you're frustrated after that fact on that, then I don't know. I have no, I don't have any time for you anyway. That's actually, it's interesting because photographically speaking, the path leads to pictures, which don't necessarily age well sometimes because they're very of a moment. Wait, which one? The the ones where you take or the ones where you're amplifying their their vanity? Don't age well. The ones where I, I wouldn't see, I wouldn't even say take. I think uh, I, I've, I've always been more on the make side of take. Okay. Now, 
you know, physically, I mean, I, I'm willing to go down certain corridors of meaning and, and technical, whatever in this thing, but I, I do, think we've proven that tonight. Yeah. I, I do. <laughs> I do think that the act of creation and, and making a photograph is more about making, because I, I yes, think taking, I well, I taking takes out, takes out too much of the license and the, ego and the filtering that photographer is adding to the equation well I, I didn't mean to remove all that i just meant i was putting the emphasis on no you're now what you, the, if you're your saying goals. that i'm making the choices and they're they ha, they're gonna have to deal with it that i agree with that because especially if the subject is you and i now i'm making choices i'm going to give you a range of options some of them are going to be ones in which i know you're probably not going to be able to most use but i want you know i, I would actually say on any given shoot, yes, there's probably two or three percent that I won't even send to you, which I think are probably the best picture. What? Yeah, definitely. A whole pause, reverse, bring it back. What? Yeah. The, what do you mean? The Why? Because the most interesting picture you is can, it, you can is use it something anyway. about me? No. Okay. I think it's just, I think you're just being nice. No, it's not you. It's any client. What actually feels the most truthful or the most certainly interesting from a outside of the context of the job is rarely able to express the job. What? And so I'll send you a version of it that Why? starts down that path, but I'm not going to send you the realized version of it because you can't use it. Why? Why would you do that? Because you can't use it. Who's to say? I am. Why? Because I know what the the goal is. So you, you've lost. You have lost. You've lost faith in me. No, I don't. Well, yes, I, I, you've lost faith in me to say, oh, and, and wow, let me recognize that as the right photo to publish. (laughs) What? I wouldn't even say this is necessarily, first of all, let the record show. I've turned away from the microphone. Yeah, he has. And I also let the record show. I'm not bothered at all by this interchange. We've established that earlier. Yeah. Yeah. I don't, I don't think that you want or you are able to deal with the actual probably best photograph from a set of pictures which is the most expressive of something that's interesting and outside of time that's so disappointing to hear yeah that is just that is crushing. See, okay but look at it this way that's crushing look at it this way that's isn't crushing it, isn't it exciting to think about the idea that there is another two or three four percent five percent whatever it is for whatever photographer that you don't that's outside of your purview that exists no 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 i will say that whenever i do send them to a client they've never ever been used that's unfortunate but that's okay yeah i mean if there is no, any chance no, that this this would satisfy the, the job so often no so often so often i say so often I say to a photographer, John, what's your favorite? Like, let me, let me know what you think. Or so often I will also say, Hey, here's my quick edit. Did I miss anything? Like, yeah. like, yeah. you know, like yeah. I'm, I'm asking for input and now I'm finding out that in fact, I'm not getting a real response. No, no I always give you real responses. That's mean. It's not, I, I, I've never sandbagged you. But clearly I've been sandbagged. Eh. 
I'm also not the only one to think this. We know this. We know this. Yeah. We know this. Yeah. We're on to you. I know you're on to me. There are things that you can do. There are things that we can't do. There are their client. It's just, there are goals. There are things involved. I mean, that, that just makes the whole thing about, here's what I think you want. Take it. Right. But this, it'd be one thing if I was. It destroys, it destroys the conversation about, about photography, about adding to something, about an interaction between two people. It just, it destroys. I know, but what I'm talking about isn't a good frame that I just decided not to send to you. What I'm talking about is a weird frame. It's the odd man out. It's the thing that like. You've chosen, you have chosen to stop. The creative conversation. That's depressing. That's me. I'm not thankful for that. Yeah, I feel like I'm giving you a really good range of options, though. I don't doubt that you are. But still, the reason I hire photographers is because I want their brain. Yeah. I want them to... You're looking at me like, shut up, Michael. No, not at all. Yeah. I actually feel sort of bad. No, you don't. No, I do. You've already established you don't care. uh, Well, but I, I I, I don't care about, no, I care about you more than I care about most of my clients. So no, sorry. That's, that's just, it's like, I literally, whether or not I use the best of the best of the best picture is not the point. It's, it's that it's being withheld on purpose. So how can I? Well, okay. First of all, that pisses me. Most of the things are being withheld. Because I'm giving you, I understand there's some that just hit the floor and that's, that's that. But okay, uh, but if we're on a shoot and there's whatever, there's 500 pictures made, the edit you'll get is probably eight to 10%. Okay. The missing pictures, only another eight to 10% are total shit. Sure. They just don't rise. They're, they're just, they're just flat. They just don't rise to good or bad. They're just blip, 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 blip. I get it. So, Typically, but but you're leaving out the ones that you think are the best. But see, I think that we we got caught up on best because no, <laughs> no, we got caught up on leaving out, <laughs> right? But I think they're the most interesting. Most interesting. Okay. I don't think in any way are they the best example of the shoot. Any, especially portrait photographer who's worked for more than a minute is most probably interested in the things that went wrong or the things that veered into strange directions. Mm-hmm. So there are pictures which I'll make, which are a little off or there, there's a moment in between things or there's just something going on. I'll include those. But when there's a picture also off, whatever, but there's just, there's nothing redeeming for an editorial purpose, but I find something interesting about it. Just it personally has some sort of pull on me. There's two things. There's two reasons why I don't send it to you. One, I've learned over time that it's easy to fall in love with something weird in your own shoot. And it doesn't necessarily make it any good. If I went back through, I don't have a very good classification system for this example. But if I went back, if I had a color coding for this and went back through three years of these Whatever and this, these pictures don't even happen on every shoot. If I had this color code and went back through three years of it, I would dislike 
60, 75% of them. Because on Pond looking back, there's not enough there, there. Nope. That's not good enough. I hire a photographer not for their technical ability, not for some stylistic mumbo jumbo. I hire it because they have a brain, they interact with the world in a certain way, and this is how they, they view things. You're telling me you withhold how you view things, even, even if you don't put it in the take and just send it as like an itsy bitsy 12 kilobyte frame in an email saying, oh, and this is really interesting. I like this. No, that's, this that, goes in a file. That's a good point. Like I, I should, I should have the least, and I, I actually don't know if there's even a recent example of this happening between us. Oh, I'm willing to bet there is. Well, you know, tomorrow I'll turn on my computer and see if there is, and I'll send you an email. I, I don't know if there is. Don't but, send it, don't send it to me because I I was not probably the last person to hire you. I bet, but I bet whoever was was whoever was was fuzzy wuzzy was a bear. Yeah, too. no, you know, okay, you know that a lot of other picture editors tell photographers all the time. And I haven't been told in a number of years, but I've been told many times in my career, you know, I, I need a tighter edit. You're sending me too many things. Who are these people of you sp- that you speak? <laughs> I, it's happened many times. Uh, if, if, so if, if out of 500 pictures, I send you 45 or 50, yeah, I'm the whole time thinking I've sent you too much. Well, hopefully these unsaid people that I know or don't know well or not well, Hopefully they've established beforehand what it is they are looking for or want or hope to get out of or why they've asked you to make these pictures so that you can do that. Hopefully they're not just blindly saying, do this. I need by then. Give me five. I've heard it. But, you know, that's not surprising. There's all kinds. There are. And evidently it takes all kinds. I've heard that too. Mm -hmm. I'm upset because it actually affirms something that I have known. Really? Because it seems, yeah. Part of this seems um pretty obvious. Well, the <laughs> the strides that artists or creatives make are not public. They're tiny little incremental mistakes. Or there's there's the. I know, but I'm I am like so open to the conversation about even even when I am currently working through about twenty shoots in two weeks with a holiday in the middle drawn thin realistically i'm still interested in knowing what the person i'm working with is thinking and going through and and that that withholding of that information kind of wherever that path might lead is destroyed right you've destroyed my faith in creativity (laughs) wow i just twisted that yeah oh i'm thankful for this conversation Joyous Noel. Merry Christmas. Well, maybe you just... Happy Kwanzaa. Maybe not only have you righted my path, you've righted the path of the but it, it's 10 just, it's just people like, who will also listen to this. Even if I, as the stand-in photo editor, is, an, is, a, is a jerk, don't you want that jerk to know like what you think and give them the opportunity to shit you down and say, no, didn't I remind you? I'm a jerk. I don't want to know what you know. I think that you're missing the way in which many different creatives constantly feel like they're always, no matter where they are in the career, about to be found out as a fraud. I don't care. They're not on this podcast. No. L- give them their own night. 
They have, Let they them have a bring separate, in a bottle of wine. God damn, that seems like a whole different podcast. This was a good uh, bottle of wine. It was. It was pretty good. Yeah. I bought it because of the label. And yeah, it has something to do with birds, I assume. Not actually the label. I bought it because it's uh, the valley. You changed the subject. I did. Right then. MFR. Papers. <laughs> this, is, this is very upsetting. Okay. It's very upsetting. I'm proud of you that it's so upsetting. But it's just, it's like, we had the whole... Being half was like this authentic self and real self and putting yourself out there. And then wait a second, there's something withheld. But you, there's always something withheld. I, I, I know that. I instinctively absolutely know that. And I respect that too. You see the second season of the marvelous Miss Maisel? I did not, but I'm familiar of this marvelous person you speak. Yes. So there is a character who is an abstract, I think it's supposed to be an abstract expressionist painter. Living in New York, who has created a painting which is so beautiful that it's like shattered. They, I guess, the painter themselves thinks that they've poured so much of it of the, so much of what their grace was into this one painting that they'll never be able to paint anything else again. Yeah, it's okay. So much so that they they won't show it. Well, that's stupid. Well, right. That's just stupid. It. I would. Where's the humor agree. in that? Where's the humor in that? Why is that on that show? That doesn't make any sense. That should be on Will and Grace. <laughs> I agree. I mean, that's just that's just. And Nick stupid. Offerman should be the painter. Come on, sure. It's like the emperor has no clothes. Put up or shut up. Well, I'm I'm hosting a podcast. Clearly, I'm I'm on the side of sharing. However, <laughs> but are you? Yeah. We'll see. There are things which cut too close. There are things which I I and I totally. I meant to cut you off. I totally respect that. Yeah. I totally respect that. But you have to know. I, I mean, I I see my role as working with a photographer to, in ways I can, defend them, make their job as easy as possible, and be a part of their creative process and right. them a part of mine. And right. and and yes, there are things that nobody wants to share and i get that but at some point you have to you have to put something out there to say hey going out on a limb right i remember you were talking about the talking heads video here's this yeah and let me have the opportunity to either not I respond i think or... this makes you somewhat extraordinary within the industry though no now it does no no i've met people oh i think i've met well, I'm not going to say that. <laughs> I'm not going to say that because I'll out myself. Just did. I'm thankful of your response. I will try to do a better job being part of our conversation. Photographers have the power. When you are going into a portfolio review, that photographer better be interviewing the reviewer as much as they are the photographer because you sure. want to find out if Sally is a jerk. Can Sally help you make better pictures of blueberries or is she just going to squash your blueberries? You want to know you it's your work. Again, the creative image maker, content maker has to put themselves up at the top instead of waiting for these, these dumbos to like open up the gates for them. Sure. But the process of working editorially doesn't exactly, it doesn't, it's not kind to your side of this whole thing. What do you mean? I mean, we've already established that, you know, the double truck picture and photo essay to follow doesn't exist anymore. Right. Right. So out the door. Next. Now, I, I'll promise to send you all my drone footage moving forward. 
Okay. Yeah. Give me give me some time to respond, but I'll watch it. Oh yeah, that'd be rough. I <laughs> I I uh I'm really bad about responding. I have friends who work in in TV and broadcast and stuff, and they're constantly sending me video links. Uh-huh. I don't want to watch it. It video is time consuming. It is. I I don't triple it, dipple time consuming. I mean, I I obviously chose to do a podcast. Is it me a podcast? I probably would listen to it, but a video link of your of the cooking show you're working on and they always choose a host who's a fucking moron and you're like god i can't watch this shit i actually because you know i think that i didn't mean to but i think i've become very i very jealously guard what i put in my brain and what i how do you keep shit out well i, I just don't i don't seek to be involved with things in which I know there's just, there's personally speaking, there's no value for me. Like I, I don't, I know that Kirby, your enthusiasm is a good show. Mm-hmm. I know that I like Larry David's comedy cause I love Seinfeld. Mm-hmm. I know that I do not watch Kirby enthusiasm. I won't watch Kirby enthusiasm because most of the point of the whole thing is to get to a point where this older Jewish guy is yelling at me mm-hmm. and creating tension by being upset. I don't need it. I don't want it. I don't need it. I don't want it. I don't want any, I don't watch any show in which the whole point is to get to this frothy point where everyone's yelling and there's someone who's done something stupid. And I, I just, I don't want that tension and, and yeah. drama in my life. I mean, yeah. let alone reality TV. Sure. I don't do any of it. Uh, I mean, maybe a cooking show. Maybe. I don't know. Probably not. That's not reality. Certainly any of the following the lives and drama stuff, whatever. I don't even think people are bad for watching it. People are making their own choices. I don't want to put that in my body and into my brain and into like the way I want to interact with the world. Mm-hmm. I don't understand that as a choice. I don't see, I don't, I don't, I don't get it. You're aware of it. I know it exists, right? but I, you know, I've never seen a, an episode of the real housewives of any, wherever that goes. I've never seen the Kardashians show. Uh-huh. I've never, I, 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 I know there's a bunch of different ones in that universe. I've never seen any show that's ever been on Bravo other than Top Chef. I've never seen, I mean, the only thing I come, I, I, I just don't watch any of that. I, I don't, and it's, it's only about that. The whole point of it is to introduce drama into people's lives. Mm-hmm. And I understand that drama is a part of storytelling, mm-hmm. but they don't care about the story. They care about eliciting emotion. And I, I just, I don't want any of it. I have no interest in any of it. If I want drama, I'll read a great book mm-hmm. or I'll, I'll watch a great movie mm-hmm. or I'll listen to music or I'll whatever. I'll, I'll probably get in an argument with my wife about something or whatever else. I can deal with drama, which is actually real. Like I read news all day long, every day and I'm willing to deal with the things in the world, which are fucked up and filled with drama. Yeah. Because I understand them to be a part of the world I'm living in and I want to inhabit this world. But fake drama that's just edited carefully to maximize its toxic effect. Yeah. I just, I don't know why that's a part of how we want to do it. I hear you. I've learned some things. Have you? I I have. I knew there would be an October surprise tonight. I didn't know what it would be. (laughs) In November, that was a surprise. Well, there you go. I'm still ruminating. That's okay. 
not processing. Ruminating. Ruminating. Yeah. For those of you that have seen a slave play, you're ruminating. Yeah. I didn't see that one. It was very good. I remember seeing it on social media that you went to go see it. That's that's all I got. It's true. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my goodness. Uh, there's a few things we didn't cover. Such as? Um, well, you, you, you mentioned that doing nothing is hard, but I don't think that anyone who's listened to this podcast at this point <laughs> would be interested in us discussing doing nothing at this, at this juncture. Because you can't, you can't do nothing. Right. You can't. That's not an option. Right. Metaphysically speaking, my wife would really disagree with you. And she may be correct. In that circumstance. To me, it's interesting because it talks about the creative process and it. The thing that you can't see, the thing you can't understand is the time spent ruminating. Uh-huh. I'm not outwardly thinking about anything. There, are, I have a list. I have 10,000 lists of things I'm thinking about, things I'm, I need to do, things I'm trying to do, things I want to build on, things I want more of, things I, I need more of, things I want to better define, things I... I feel like I owe to myself things. I feel like I owe to you things, all the things, mm-hmm. but day to day I have these things. I have to get done. I have to go to the store. I have to get a thing. I have to get my kids. I have to do blah, 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 blah. Yes. When I'm not doing those explicit tasks and when I'm getting done the daily things and I'm working on whatever piece of the bigger items I'm trying to work towards, I'm walking around my house. I'm walking around my yard. You know, you spend a lot of time just kind of, being a stranger in a strange land, you know, you just kind of just being and sitting and, and thinking and not thinking and defocusing and whatever, whatever your process is like, yeah, that's a part of the process. Yes. That's the, that's also part of what makes it so difficult to see, but that's not doing nothing. No, I obviously and totally agree with you. That's not doing nothing. I also understand that when my wife is like, well, why didn't you think to move the clothes and the washer into the dryer? I'm like, well, I was fucking staring at this room for 20 minutes. She's like, wait, what? You've really got to be mindful and respectful of the time to not be doing because it's time to be doing like that's, that is that is doing and that's the time in which you make connections and things jump on jump up at you and grab you i mean it's actually one of the things i really love podcasts for is that i can have a podcast up and this happened you know in the last week i accidentally happened upon a podcast of leonard cohen's son and he was sharing pieces of unpublished leonard cohen poetry and you know one thing in the world i don't I, I would consider a somewhat finite resource is the words and certainly voice of Leonard Cohen. And he hit upon a couple of different little simple things. You know, the recordings were terrible, you know, basically in terms of like a music quality were, were not special, but they were this voice and this presence and this thoughtfulness. And in that thoughtfulness, you heard or at least I felt a lot of time spent in a home, in a house, in a park, in a place 
wandering, thinking, fidgeting, making coffee, and just being. And it's it's something that uh, is a huge part of, I think, a lot of people's process, and certainly mine. Is there is there something you do at work? Is there a place? Is there a thing that you you can ruminate in, or do you have to do that outside of the walls? That is a very good question. So that's one. Yeah, I'll give you that. <laughs> Recently, I think I've been reading other people's stories more. Nonfiction. I think I, I read endless, seemingly endless theory and worky work, wonky books, and you know, interesting and but but not <laughs> interesting, but not <laughs> but not anything that would like continue right. continue the conversation and keep the spark alive. And and again, those words you just used were exactly how I felt when I was asked to read Sontag in college. Right. There's, there's a reason people ask you to read that. Like there is something there. No, there's, there's a thoughtfulness. There's a thoughtfulness. And but there is no, it does it never reconnects to the point. Right. I mean, which is, which is one reason why I stepped away from art making because the literature was just like, we're talking about ourselves and theory. And, you know, I, I really, I liked people and I liked people's stories and it's, right. it's really only been recently that I've been able to read nonfiction stories, be enthralled with them and really throw myself into them. Like I feel like I did when I was much younger and so it, these biographies or no, no, they're, they're nonfiction. Well, mem- one was a memoir, but, uh, it's a wonderful thing to be able to read something and, and have a book take you out of your own existence and be like, okay, for a minute I can just put everything on, on pause and just go back into Sally's world and be like, okay, Sally, what's up? How did you get through chapter two? Tell me all about it. Right. And she will. And then she's like, here's chapter three. And, and, and it, it just, it's such a relief. It's such a joy. It's such a, it's it's a reminder that there there's more going on besides whatever day to day humdrum thing it is, and that and and realizing that then you know that again that creative process takes takes time, like you're saying, and it's often difficult in relationships. I think where it's a mixed relationship for people to understand that process mm-hmm. because life doesn't stop lots of things, lots of people need you. And that's a wonderful thing to be thankful for. But the pausing to look at life and analyze it is also a really wonderful thing too. I mean, I agree. I mean, I mean I've been a pretty avid reader my whole life. I, I will, on a nonfiction bent though, I will make a recommendation to you. Shoot. Uh, something that I, I read a few years ago and I've actually thought about a num many times since there's a Steven Johnson book called the invention of air about the scientist in enlightenment Britain who discovers air discovers, you know, what's in the colorless invisible thing we breathe. Uh-huh. And it's a really beautiful, thoughtful exploration of how did the person discover the thing that is just all around us. And yet, you know, like seeing the world for, you know, like we talked about earlier, you know, 
what's here but not here and everything else. It took a mind to see what everyone saw ever forever, but also then could not understand. So it's a it's a really cool book, and it's really I mean Stephen Johnson's a great writer of a very thoughtful and an illuminating sense uh, and sort of nonfiction sciencey stuff. It's worth checking out. I've got one for you. Okay, good. Since we're on Thanksgiving, fourteen ninety three. No, they're there. They're there. They're there. One of my favorite Radiohead titles. That'd be interesting to figure out how those two things, maybe three things are. Could be, could be related. They're, they're avid readers too, the the lads. They're there is about people in Oakland, California. I won't say enough. That's, uh, yeah. About, uh, the Warriors basketball team. Yep. Got it. No, but, uh, racial injustice. Interesting. Interesting thing that came to mind right there. Warriors. No, it's a very good book. It's interestingly structured. Uh-huh. That's enough. Yeah. That's enough. And it it's also relates to the holiday on Thursday. Speaking of there, there. I think we should I think we should leave it there, there and go eat some pie. Five dollar pie. Five dollar pie. I hope we make it through it. No, I hope we don't. We'll be very sick. But I'm very thankful to have you on eyeball. Thanks for your time, buddy. I want to say thanks for having me, John. Anytime, buddy. My thanks to Michael for stopping by the eyeball studio and my apologies for triggering him and explaining so poorly the point I was trying to make. Please connect with Michael on Instagram or Twitter at Michael Wichita, M-I-C-H-A-E-L-W-I-C-H-I-T-A. As always, our love to Scott Pryor. Listen more at scottpryormusic.bandcamp.com. Talk to you next week. This is my dad's podcast, and it's called Eyeball. <laughs> Goodbye, you crazy animals.